being a minority, a woman, a Muslim, and being American and Pakistani was my pot of gold. A tapestry of rich and colorful threads of challenges met and experiences learned. Hello, my healers. How lovely it is to connect with you. My name is KJ, and this is a new episode of the Stories of Astonishing Light podcast. This is also another installment of the special soul series, Astonishing WOC Healers. This is where we listen in on conversations with healers, social advocates, teachers, mental health warriors, and artists, all changing the game and uplifting their communities, who just happen to be women of color as well. I am thrilled to introduce to you today's featured healer, Nur Pina. Noor is a licensed mental health counselor and transformative mindset coach. She helps women break free from the barriers of shame, emboldening them to advocate for themselves and their communities and to embody resiliency. Noor guides women to celebrate deeply nourishing self-care rituals. You know, I'm a big fan of that. She does so by designing healthy boundaries and reframing any cognitive dissonances. Noor has administered her mental health services internationally, specifically supporting and empowering Afghan women. When Noor and I first connected, we had one of those incredible, buzzing conversations where we instantly understood we were kindreds. We found so many common interests, borderline obsessions, including gratitude and neuroplasticity in the way they change the traumatized brain. And then, of course, Adele. We've decided to collaborate on a new healing program and or podcast and or forum highlighting women of color and redefining beauty, art, and resiliency. Stay tuned to hear more about that. Today, we're touching on some pretty powerful topics, such as overcoming and weighing the cost of shame, which is a universal theme, by the way, across the world. We also explore the discomfort we feel in honoring our accomplishments. And then there's the curious and glorious bravery of what we call our midnight brains. We opened the episode with Noor's reading of the poem that held the attention of the TEDx organization and led to an invitation to speak about shame, resilience, and gratitude on the TEDx stage. This is just the beginning, my friends. Here is Noor Pina. Thank you, my friend. I'm so glad we're connecting today. Yeah, same here. You have written the most exquisite poem, and I'm trying not to make a habit of it, but I'll not ask you to read it every time we talk. (laughs) I don't mind. (laughs) It got you onto the TED speaking stage. I just feel like the poem was, it's just so resonant and so significant. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for obliging and appeasing me. (laughs) Of course. All right. I'm a self-made prison. I am shame that slithers in silence. I smell like decaying bodies. I taste like rustic, acidic nails. I feel like prickling bushes. I felt shame as a six-year-old when my mother handed me folded food stamps, the line behind me staring at us as if they were saying, you don't belong here. I felt shame speaking and dressing as an immigrant, going to school as an outsider, hiding, trying to fit in. I felt my soul exploding in shame. I felt shame that I came from a single parent home. My father decided to walk out the back door when I lived in Pakistan when I was only five. The thought that comes to every child, don't you love me enough? 
I'll try harder. Just don't leave. I sense shame surrounding me for being a Muslim when 9-11 happened. I went above and beyond to help those around me to change the image of what Muslims were thought to be. I wasn't those hijackers. That was not what my religion stood for. Yet the dichotomy between what I was taught and what was happening on the ground confused me. I was labeled. And from these experiences, I became a walking paradox, a reverberating echo of overwhelming doubt. I began the journey of self-labeling. I am pathetic. I am undeserving. I am unlovable. I am worthless. I am. That list went on forever. In these moments, shame thrived in the secrecy of my silence. For how could I tell someone my father abandoned me, left me shattered, that wearing a hijab of any style besides the standard style was looked upon even within my own community? I felt shame at the image of my body. Comparison was a killer. These women in magazines were talented and beautiful. What did I have to offer to the world? I, plain Jane, shame spoke in silence. It told me that no one would understand what I was going through, that I was unique, and that I didn't need people's sympathy. My problems were my problems. No one wanted to be burdened with my drama. How could I tell my friends that I felt dirty inside? How could I tell people that I felt shame for a mother who is working as two parents and providing me with a new life? That I cringed when she spoke English to my teachers in elementary school. Did I think that I was better than her? So this list of shame evolved and tore me apart. It embedded itself into the core beliefs of who I am today. I felt shameful for not being enough, for wanting affirmation of who I really was, for seeking validation to foot into the mold of what others thought I should be. Yet shame forgot to keep its silence and others noticed the darkness of my mood. Their understanding touched the rough edges around me, their warmth and hugs filling my soul with immeasurable love. Shame did not realize that once I understood the language it spoke in, I became proud of my mother. Coming to America with four kids, struggling to raise them single-handedly, giving them an opportunity to get an education is no small feat. That being a minority, a woman, a Muslim, and being American and Pakistani was my pot of gold, a tapestry of rich and colorful threads of challenges met and experiences learned. Suddenly, shame's shackles broke, were taken off. I went from my self-made prison to liberating myself, breaking free. There's nothing more powerful than that. I walked through with battle scars of shame's webs. And though I have cuts and bruises on my soul, eventually they will heal and my soul will rejuvenate. My grandmother named me Noor from the Quran meaning light. I'm slowly taking on the meaning of that name to those around me. The light of God touching the depths of despair, the light illuminating a path forward to heal. I'm grateful to my ever-evolving family, to those who stood by and held my hand, to the strangers that I met on the internet that are now my besties. To those who believed and encouraged me when I was doubtful of my own abilities. To those who sat with me while I cried in agony. To those whose love knows no boundaries. I am beyond grateful to you all. For the practice of gratitude smothers the shame and resiliency. It detaches from my soul. It rises like a phoenix. I am no longer a contradiction seeking validation and acceptance from others. 
for I am strong and have fought the battle and am still standing, and I have much to be grateful for. The social and emotional authentic connections healed my scars. Though I constantly still feel vulnerable, I practice the authenticity of who I am. It has helped me overcome the recriminations of shame. I'm grateful for the second chance I was giving at life. Every day, I'm happy to be me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I have so many questions again. <laughs> Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. The poem itself. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the process of how it was born and how it emerged? How much time did it take? What inspired it? So what inspired it was the TED Talk. It asked for a second chance at life. That was the theme of the TED Talk. I realized being a shame counselor or coach, whatever you want to call me, right? Like that umbrella of terms. How much shame continues to play in my life on a daily basis and how much I've overcome shame in so many other ways. I thought about all the things that if I could share my story, what were the highlights that caused the most shame to me? And I thought about being Muslim. I thought about being a woman. I thought about being an immigrant, like culture, just all those other things. And the whole idea behind shame is to make people feel like they're not alone. So I was ready to talk about those things because I had processed them in a way that was healthy. So if someone like you were going to ask me, I wouldn't be left after this conversation drained or exhausted because I have the coping skills. I have processed it, which is so important to do when you're being vulnerable. Who are you being vulnerable with? And how are you taking care of yourself? You're going to have a vulnerability hangover. according, And that's a term that Brene Brown, mm-hmm. um, I think, coined. And so I want someone to feel connected regardless of whether I'm Muslim or I'm not. Because there's so many people that have gone through these experiences of labeling themselves as something that they're truly not. And that They've created these prisons and held themselves back because shame has been the biggest factor in not allowing us to pursue our dreams. And that's where, how can I say this? And poetry is just a form. I love talking, but if I could speak in poetry, that'd be my game, you know? (laughs) But even within poetry, there's layers of things that you have to unlock. Like, what is she saying, right? I want people to read in between lines. I want people to figure out how this poem settles within their own narrative, not just mine. I get to share it. That's the biggest thing. But what are you leaving with? What is the thing that I'm going to leave you with at the end of the poem? Mm -hmm. What's the feeling? What's the action I want you to take? Those kind of thoughts were in my mind as I was creating this poem. So As with any great idea that I have, which is usually around midnight. (laughs) (laughs) That is the time. Um, That is the twinkling hour for me. That's when I was like, oh, there's a TEDx talk. Let me sign up for that. Holy moly. Yeah. So I did it at 12 at midnight. And then I was so excited. I could not go to sleep. So I was like, well, I know they're going to ask me what my pitch is. How am I going to get this in? And I was like, 
what's the medium I know best and I'm comfortable with, which is poetry. And let's write this down. So at first it was just conscious stream of thoughts and just wording. And then it was, let's just coalesce this and massage it and make it into what it needs to be. Then I had a proofread it and all this other stuff. And when I read it, sometimes I could add more to this or I could do this or I could do that. But it was a couple of days worth of process before I was happy with the thing. But the initial sort of flow and emergence happened in one sitting. Do you thought in that moment, because it sounds like the TED Talk prompt came first. Yeah, it did. Was there any hesitation about applying? So here's the thing. And it's funny because I was talking to my friend Kelly and I was like, I really want to be on podcast. I just don't know how to get on podcast. But then I saw a TED Talk, which was on my bucket list of things to do. It doesn't hurt. Why don't you apply for it? My midnight brain is telling me this. Because I think if I did it during the day, my brain would have been more hesitant in terms of who are you? Are you worthy enough? Those kind of questions. Mm -hmm. But my midnight brain was like, this is a great opportunity for you. This is something that you want to cross off your bucket list. Why not go for it? If you get rejected, you just got rejected. It's not the end of the world. And so in that midnight brain, it just felt really magical to be like, yep, I'm signing up for this. I'm doing this. Here's the questions, all of this. And so there wasn't any hesitation in the midnight brain. I think we've just got another good two hours worth of things to talk about because we could have a whole bunch of different names for the midnight brain. Your higher wisdom, <laughs> yeah. your, your most unfiltered and gen yeah. genuine self. Yeah. But so you said it took a couple of days afterwards, after the initial yeah. flow space. Yeah. Did it creep in in the light of day when it wasn't midnight it brain? It did. And during the whole time, I kept getting emails that kept saying like hinting that yes, you're in, you're in the process. But my brain during the day was just like, this isn't real. This is not happening. I'm not sharing this with people unless I see something in paper, like on hand. But the whole thing I shared with a couple of friends, I was like, yeah, so I did this crazy thing. Let me tell you about it. And they're like, oh, okay, that's really amazing, Nora. And so I was like, yeah, but you know, they haven't confirmed it. And they're like, Nora, they said they were giving you a coach. I think it's pretty confirmed that you're going to be on stage. So my brain really wasn't accepting it. But my midnight brain, right, was just thrilled and excited. And it was just like, oh, my God, this is this is crazy. This is happening to you. And then my coach was like, what are you doing to celebrate? Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was so consumed with practicing and making sure I was on time for the rehearsal and then practicing with my coach, practicing it with my friend, that I didn't celebrate every step of the process. Mm. And that's something I look at. I have a little bit of grief over mm. because getting on a TEDx is a pretty big deal. Yes. And I tend to minimize that a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, I was just, I was just on a TED talk. No big deal. And people, <laughs> your reactions. I, I, I'm shaking my head. My brow is furrowed. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going, what? Yeah. Yeah. My brain was like, oh yeah, it's just anyone can do it. So that was my thing. Anyone can apply and get in if they, if they try really, really hard, you know? And I think that was like the immigrant 
child philosophy, right? You just work really, really hard and then you'll get the thing that you want if you're lucky enough. So yeah, so there's definitely were some doubts. And then I was lucky that I had a really amazing backup of women that were supporting me and partners and things like that, that were proud of the process. My best friend Yusra came to the TED Talk with her two sons and she was just like, we're going out to eat and celebrate. I was like, what? No. And she's like, nope, we're doing this. And so I was glad that my midnight brain was like, no, I, I think you need to do this. You know, <laughs> like, I think you did a good job on the stage. You need to be treated to ice cream or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Give the girls some ice cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I went and I celebrated that, but I never marketed it or I never really went off and like, oh, here's my TED Talk. Oh, listen, I didn't do any of those things that most people do. I was just like, oh, here's a link. I did a TED Talk. If you want to listen, you can listen. <laughs> it's, it's very casual and, and humble on yeah. one end. But on the other, I'm sitting here going, why is this not shouted from the rooftops? Yeah. Some of that might also be ingrained humility as well. My mom <laughs> didn't really know what a TEDx talk was, which is normal because she doesn't <laughs> watch TV and listen to any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I didn't really tell her because I was like, she's not going to know and she's not going to care that mentality until I was like, no, I should send her this. Whatever she gets out of it, she gets out of it. I just want her to know that I'm very proud of her, mm. you know, and what she's given me. And then my brother and my sisters were very supportive and they were like, oh my God, I can't believe it. So they wanted to know every detail. Family was very supportive. Yeah. Once I was like, okay, this is happening. Let me tell them. Mm. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. So, yeah. What sort of consideration went into place as you knew you were going to be speaking about very personal stories that involved your family, involved discussions that maybe it's not yeah. typically known or even approved or welcome to go that deep? How did that sit with you? I only chose to share stories of my family that were aspects of me from my point of view. My mom's story is my mom's story. And so I have to honor whether she wants to share them or not. I told my brother and my sister, we did have a discussion because at that time, my book is on hold right now, but it's mm -hmm. about shame and boundaries. I was letting them know like, hey, I'm writing about some personal stuff. A lot of it has to do with the way that I was brought up. None of you guys are mentioned by name or anything. Just that like, this is what's happening. I want to give you a heads up. And so we had some tough conversations around that as a family, what was acceptable and what was not in that sense. And I think I did my best in terms of honoring their wishes, but also in terms of honoring what I felt was right for me to share. Wow. Yeah. It's an exquisite talk. When we were first connecting, it was almost an afterthought, almost like you had said, sort of the slip in. Well, here's the link to my TED Talk. Yeah. <laughs> so I watched it and I took pages and pages of notes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Midnight Brain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I did too.
Let's take a second to pause in this amazing conversation for a quick check-in. If you're enjoying this episode and have found value in the stories from the guests who've joined me on the podcast, I would love it if you could rate and leave a review for the show. You can do so on Apple Podcasts or any of your listening platforms. Your reviews help boost visibility of the show and spread the word to more listeners. Plus, I love hearing from you. If you have found anything you've heard on this show valuable or helpful for you, please let us know. And it's really easy to do. And it takes maybe a minute. You can go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash astonishing stories. Also, a little something to consider. Every review you leave enters you into a chance for winning a free 30-minute private session with me to discuss anything of your choice. I'll pick the name of the winner every Friday and announce it on my Instagram and Facebook stories. So let's hear it, friends. Ratethispodcast.com forward slash astonishing stories. I really appreciate you. Things have been incredibly layered and curious these days. We're heading into the holidays. We're heading into nearly two years of this world health crisis. And I'm wondering if you have been thinking about whether or not it's the right time to connect with a counselor. And if so, I hope that you consider this as a confirmation because there's some good news. Bliss Begins Within Psychotherapy, my private practice, has just reopened and is accepting new clients. Let me introduce myself again. My name is Kimberly. You also know me as KJ, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, along with a podcaster and an artist and a musician. I use techniques from expressive arts and EMDR therapies in my trauma-focused work. I would be happy to connect with you and to talk about how we might be able to work together during this incredibly unique time. If you want to know more, let's connect on a free 30-minute call. And you can do that by either emailing me at kj at blissbeginswithin.com or checking out my website, blissbeginswithin.com or by shooting me a DM on Instagram. You can also check out my Psychology Today profile. The link is in the show notes for the show and I really look forward to hearing from you. Did you know right away that you wanted to touch on shame, resilience, or had it flown naturally, arrived on your doorstep, fully formed? I definitely knew that I wanted to talk about shame, resilience. Yeah. Because it's just my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that people often talk about. Because when you hear the word shame, you automatically, physiologically have a response to that word. But I want to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how do I get that conversation started? And so I knew that that was the thing I wanted to talk about. I just didn't know in what context I was going to talk about it. Like I knew my format was going to be poetry. I just didn't know what the message was going to come. And so it was just a lot of it was midnight brain taking over and just sort of writing. And then here's the piece after three to four hours. This is what I need to fix and do. Yeah. I'm going to pivot a little bit. 
I know a lot of your work is, of course, with your clients around shame resilience boundaries. How are folks finding you? Part of it is I am really honored and humbled by my clients Mm -hmm. because a lot of my clientele comes from word of mouth. I'm on Psychology Today. I have an Instagram page and I have a Facebook group, but a lot of it is just having to put myself out there and kind of like what I'm doing now, you know, and I was like, how are people going to know about my service if I don't talk about my service, which has always been a hard thing for me, Mm -hmm. you know, because selling does not seem easy, but I'm learning to constantly overcome those cognitive distortions, those negative thoughts. Who's going to want to listen to this? Everyone else out there is saying the same thing. How is my story any different? Learning to overcome those thoughts allows me to like be like, hey, listen, this is what I do. I've gone through this. I'm living it. I'm walking the talk. And mm-hmm. I've done workshops. I've collaborated with hospitals and volunteered and things like that. And just casually slip it into a conversation and let them know this is sort of what I do. That's my coaching aspect, but I'm also a therapist. So like that's sort of the way it's been going. That's fantastic. When it's this organic process. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You have worked with Afghan women. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you've discovered a commonly held thread or belief that your clients hold. You may have already touched upon it, but is there this cognition or belief that you're finding is a common thread in all of the populations you work with, with the Afghan population in particular? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think regardless of where you live, people have so much in common that they don't often recognize. Women still have body image issues Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan and Mm -hmm. low self-esteem issues and I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy enough. Those issues may not be completely on the surface because it may be more about the day-to-day stuff of survival and how to get things done and they don't have necessarily the services to be like, this is how we can get help and this is what we can focus on. But when I did the trainer to trainer trainings, when I worked with the population, when I was in Afghanistan several times, it was those similar thoughts. I'm feeling so low. I feel I should be so grateful, but I'm not. I want to do something and trying to find a purpose in life, right? I've got clients over here that are saying the same thing. Everybody wants a life that's made out of happiness and comfort and safety. Mm -hmm. But how that is going to look is so different depending on what resources are available to you. And so I just find women to be really resilient and just really empowering. When you listen to the stories of the Afghan women, you're like, oh my gosh, if you could do that, what could I not do? And it is not to say at all to compare one's level of suffering to another suffering because each person's suffering and what they're going through is valid Mm -hmm. and comparison does not help. No, in fact, in your poem, you say comparison is a killer. Yeah, it robs you of your joy. 
And it robs you of the mindfulness of each moment that you're in because you're just constantly like, what could I have done better? How could I have done this? How could I have done that? You know, and then you're scrolling through Instagram or something and those grid pictures are like, (laughs) everything just looks so captivating. A client of mine was like, I don't have my shit together, but I'm looking at these people that like this friend of mine who's going on vacations and has a family and has children. And I had to do a reality check with her and say, those are best captured moments. Mm. Nice reframe. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes unless mm-hmm. they show you that mm-hmm. or they talk about it underneath the captions because sometimes we don't even look at the captions and we just like the photo. It's true. There's something incredibly reassuring knowing that we can pause. We can mm-hmm. actively decide to go back and slow down and keep ourselves in check, but that's not always an easy thing to do. It's not easy to stop once you've started the momentum, the shame spiral almost. It's really hard to stop. You had mentioned earlier that you had to speak and remind yourself how to overcome your own cognitive distortions. How do you do that for yourself? How might you recommend somebody examine their cognitions, their beliefs? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first thing is bringing critical awareness to what your thought processes are. And It helps that I'm a trained therapist, but for any person, they can go on the internet and like they can find the 12 cognitive distortions and I'll shamelessly plug myself in, but (laughs) my TikTok, that account that I have talks about all the 12 different cognitive distortions and it gives some examples as well for them. In order to lead by example, you have to practice what you teach. And so my whole motto is, As I've gotten older, my midnight brain has gotten wiser. And so it processes things at nighttime. We all ruminate. I don't think there's not one of us that doesn't. But instead of the rumination, I'm like, oh, I'm using a should statement. I'm doing black and white thinking or I'm catastrophizing this moment. And what I do with that is I scan my body. Mm -hmm. Where does the tension feel in my body and I explore it with curiosity. What are my thoughts leading me to believe? And then how do I challenge that thought and check back in with reality? Love that. Love that you bring it back to the body. Yeah. Starting first with an awareness and acknowledging where all of this tension or rumination, however, actually shows up in your physical self. I think we've spoken about this before and we'll continue to speak about the way that our bodies have messages for us. Our bodies are very wise. It's pretty interesting how we do everything in our power not to hear it or to begin with it. But I love that a simple starting point that you've just offered is start with a body scan. Yeah. Notice where the tension is. Notice where you feel it in your soma when you're having these thoughts or when you're having these reactions to what's happening in your environment. It's a really good place to start. I also like your suggestion of let's know what's out there. Let's know what some of these thoughts might actually be called or labeled already. You'd mentioned, you know, shoulds, the black and white thinking, the catastrophizing, available information for folks if they'd like to, to start to research, right? And familiarize themselves with some of the language that maybe we wouldn't even have initially. If you don't have words for it, I bet your body certainly has some cues for you. 
Well, my friend, can you share some of the compassion practices that you have maybe started just recently? Are there any new practices that you've brought on? I have. I've been getting more introduced to Native American cultures, you know, and just learning about the history and stuff. And they have beautiful ceremonies, you know, rituals and stuff like that. And so I've started with the help of a friend of mine to really understand the knowledge before I put in the practice so that I'm honoring them. And I'm not taking advantage of the culture. Like I'm appreciating and I'm giving back what the knowledge I have received so far. And a simple thing is sage, cleansing with sage. Mm. I've added that with intention of a prayer with it and just allowing the smoke and the smell to be surrounded and to feel that beautiful essence and just kind of finding that moment of peacefulness that resides in it. Like, and you're just like, oh, okay, I feel lighter. As always, being gentle with your body and really listening to it. And we talk about this later, but I can now walk up to six miles what? a day. And that it's basic without breaking a sweat. Yeah. Before I couldn't even do two miles, Mm. you know, the way my body was. So I had to really pay attention to my body, had to get some testing done, change my diet and change the mindset. This is not a diet. This is a lifestyle. I'm choosing to be healthy. And so instead of looking at what's being taken away, I'm seeing what can I add into my life? And that perspective has been really helpful in just looking at things in general in terms of being more compassionate with myself. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it's so multi-layered. And it's also, it's simple when you break it down. Walking gently, it's not as much about the outcome as much as it is about the consistency and the process of expansion. You moved from going less than two miles a day to now six. Yeah. And there's this kindness and allowance for growth. I honestly, this summer has been life-changing for me in so Mm. many different ways. Mm -hmm. I came back from California doing the workshop, helped me realize I really like being near land and water. Yes. How can I create more of that into my life? And hiking became the thing. My goal wasn't to lose weight. My goal wasn't to do anything. It was just to be in nature, just to enjoy myself and find my spirituality and be connected. And so that was my goal. And I still maintain that goal. Whatever benefits that comes out of it, those are great. But those weren't what I was looking for when I started this journey. Why don't we do this? We'll do sort of a lightning round wrap. And then we can use that to jump off of and head our next conversation, which is inevitably going to happen. Okay. So are there any books on your nightstand right now or books that you are in right now? My Body is Not an Apology. Oh, yeah. I'm really into that by Sonia Renee Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You being such a fan of the natural elements, do you have a favorite season? It's hard. I'm really enjoying fall, but I do enjoy spring. And I like spring, summer, and fall. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Any new music that you're listening to? Well, Adele just came out with a new song. I know. We were just talking about that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, it's been on repeat. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm just like, I need to make a TikTok of just me being in a snuggly blanket. 
<laughs> being healed by her voice. So here's a question that sort of loops back into what we were speaking about. It might not be as light or maybe it would be, but can you recall what age you were when you believed that you had talent? Oh, I think 35. Yeah. Yeah. It is such a pleasure as always to talk with you. Same here. I love talking to you. What you working on now? What's going on right now for you? Well, there's a couple of things, but right now there's a possibility of working with Afghan college students. Nice. So we're hoping that things settle with particular college and I'm able to get that contract. Fantastic. (laughs) Keep us posted. If folks want to follow you in particular places to know more about what you're up to, where would you have them go? The best way would be probably Instagram, which is at Noor underscore Pinna. Great. I'll make sure that people know. Yeah. We'll do this again. We're going to just keep going for as long as we can. And I feel so blessed that you are so generous and kind with your time and your willingness to jump into some some deep stuff. Yeah, no problem. Okay, friend, take care. And then until next time, which I hope is very soon, uh, we'll keep going. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Of course. You're welcome. Have a good day. Well, my friends, are you like me and recounting conversations or bold movements that occurred once your midnight brain took the wheel? What else stood out for you? I'm still reeling in awe as this conversation helped confirm some of the decisions I've made to pursue my plan A wishes of writing and teaching, connecting and creating. I'm moving through the various ways I've let shame or faulty beliefs keep me playing small or how they've caused me to pause or question myself and my faith. I mean, there's so many points to savor. You see why Noor and I proclaimed this as just the beginning, right? I've managed somehow to cull a list of takeaways, but I know it's not comprehensive and could probably use a little zhuzh. However, I welcome your suggestions and comments, so please do let me know in a review or in a message if you've connected with some of these ideas. Number one, comparison is a killer. Comparison prompts shame, isolation, loneliness, It causes us to feel we're not enough. It robs us of joy, says Noor. Number two, our unique stories, our rich tapestry, our pot of gold. For instance, being a woman, a Muslim, and being American and Pakistani are colorful threads of challenges met and experiences gained. Number three, shame carries a cost. Shame causes us to label ourselves. It creates prisons. It talks us out of pursuing our dreams. Number four, shame is a universal virus. Regardless of religious background, culture, upbringing, if you experience it, chances are your neighbor does as well. Number five, what is your midnight brain? The midnight brain combats imposter syndrome. It can be your highest and clearest, kindest self. What do you do when your midnight brain is at the helm? Number six, celebrate every step of the process. Do not minimize, but instead maximize. Stop, observe, and honor each step in your process. Number seven, shame resilience exercise. Firstly, 
do a body scan from head to toe. Next, notice where the tension shows up in your body. Observe with curiosity and then ask the tension, the pain, or the discomfort. What do I believe about why you're here? What do you want me to know? And lastly, listen and then repeat. Number eight, seek guidance or examples from other cultures' self-compassion practices. Number nine, reframe for overcoming shame. Observe and list not what is missing, but instead ask, how can I add value in my life? What would make me happier? I hope you're still breathing in, breathing out. It's a lot to hold. I invite you to peruse the show notes for all the ways you can immerse in Noor's rich offerings and wisdom. I highly recommend that you watch her TEDx talk. Load up on all you can about Noor Pina because she is a force to be reckoned with and she is making a huge impact in this world. If you found value in any of the conversations you've heard on this show about healing and resilience, creativity, wellness, and compassion, let me know. Let me know in a review and by subscribing to the podcast. And download, download, download. We surpassed 5,200 downloads at the time of recording. And I want to keep going, to keep growing and inciting you all to discover and embrace your resilient stories. Anytime you share this podcast with a friend or leave a review, you infuse me with energy and courage to continue making new episodes and to continue this work. Plus, you honor the absurdly gifted editors and creators who help me produce the show each week. Your support means the world to me. As always, it is an honor to spend time with you as we uncover and revel in the stories of astonishing light residing around and within us. Thank you for listening to the Stories of Astonishing Light podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can support this podcast in a few different ways. First, you could post a screenshot of the podcast on your Instagram and Facebook stories or in your feeds and tag me at Bliss Begins Within or Musings on Other, and I can repost you. Another way to spread the love is to share this podcast with your friends and family, anyone whom you think might enjoy it as well. A third way to support this podcast is to subscribe, download, and leave a positive review on any of the platforms you listen to the show on. In this way, we can continue to grow our audience and reach more listeners. A quick and direct way to leave a review is by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash astonishing stories. I am so grateful to spend this time with you exchanging such uplifting tales of resilience. We'll see you next time. Thank you.